have a seat. Thanks, Lauren, for that. Well, good morning, church. My name is Doug, one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be able to worship with you all this morning. And uh, hopefully, uh, first of all, I was told that junior high students are to actually stay in the room this morning. So normally they are dismissed, but junior high students, come on back. <laughs> okay. There's a Parkview student ministry retreat that's happening right now, and, th and this morning uh, the high school students are out there, and so junior high, you get to be with us, and we're glad to have you, all right? Uh, before we got, dive into this morning's text in John 17, um, want to just draw your attention quickly to uh, several things uh, this, that happened this past week. One is really specific to um, our location and really to our body um, here at Parkview. Uh, many of you have been following the story of Gabe Kiefner, and um, this past week, a young man, Marine, who was um, shot in the head several weeks back in Iowa City here, whose family is very dear, grew up in this church, and family is uh, very dear. His grandparents go to um, East Campus. His father was a former junior high pastor here at Parkview. And so many of you have been following um, Gabe's progression and over the last couple of weeks. And this past week on Wednesday, it was actually the, I believe, 246th anniversary of the Marine Corps. Um, he was released from the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics and was... Um, transported to the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago, where really an awesome, awesome place for him to get precisely the care that he needs on his sort of path to recovery. The reason why I want to bring it up this morning is, one, to just keep you posted on how you can continue to pray for, for Gabe and his recovery, and for um, Niall and Cody, his, his mom and dad, as they are commuting back and forth from the St. Louis area to Chicago now, so a little bit of a further drive, and there'll certainly be more strain on that family, but I also want to bring it up, not just so you can pray, but also just to say, Parkview Church, well done. Really good job of caring for this family and an absolute moment of crisis and tremendous need. Um, one of the great joys of my heart this week was, was um, I was at the hospital when he was released and traveling to Parkview, um, just seeing so many of you all lining the street, Dubuque Street, as the ambulance and I guess motorcade uh, made its way onto the interstate. Um, seeing flags and hearing applause and cheers as Gabe um, drove by. Um, just in talking with Niall, I know it was a tremendous, just your presence in your prayers over the last couple of weeks have been a huge source of encouragement and strength for that family. So just want to say thank you and well done, church. Um, on a very similar note, the, the following day, um, as many of you are aware, our nation um, celebrated Veterans Day. And so what is a tradition and really a, a tradition here at Parkview is to take the, a moment in our service to, to honor those who served in the military in the United States Armed Forces um, by inviting them to stand. And so if you're a, a, an individual who served in the military Armed Forces, I would invite you to go ahead and stand up. And if we could just... Yep. Don't sit down. Don't get carried away now. Stay standing. And uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna, I'm gonna to pray for, for you all right now. I'm going to pray for Gabe and then um, pray for our time together. So let's, let's bow our heads in, in prayer. Father God, Lord, we um, come before you um, as, a, as a needy people who are in constant need of your grace, your mercy, and your provision in our life. Um, this morning, as we assemble to worship you, um, Lord, we uh, have in our midst men and women who, who gave up tremendous um, sacrifice and, and served uh, our country and, and ourselves um, 
so well, Lord. And so um, we are so grateful um, for these brothers and sisters who, who, who gave um, so that, of themselves so that we can um, enjoy tremendous privileges and freedoms, even the freedom to worship right here this morning, Lord. And so, um, Lord, I pray that, that you would bless these individuals for their sacrifice, for their service, Lord. Um, I pray that you would encourage them and that you would strengthen them, Lord. And I pray that you would use them for us as a people, as a, as a model um, of what service and sacrifice looks like, Lord, ultimately pointing us to um, the, the great true servant, um, Jesus Christ your son, Lord. And so just pray that you would strengthen. We are so thankful for them. I pray that they would never forget how grateful that, that we are for their service. Lord, additionally, I want to lift up Gabe and uh, the Hefner family. Pray for continued healing. We thank you for the progress that we have seen in the recent weeks, Lord. And we just pray that that would continue. Lord, we pray that your hand would be on him and that you would bring healing to him and that he would get precisely the care that he needs there at Shirley Ryan, Lord. Pray for Niall and Cody as they travel there. I pray that you would be with them. Give them safe travels back and forth, the many trips that they will be making in the coming weeks, Lord. And, and just pray that your hand and your presence would be known and felt around that entire situation. Lord, we also think of those in our midst this morning who are, who are hurting, um, who may be dealing with illness and sickness um, themselves, Lord. I pray that uh, this morning as we draw our eyes and our attention to the glory of Jesus Christ and the goodness that we have in Jesus, Lord, I pray that even just this moment this morning would bring um, um, relief to them, Lord, that you would bring healing and that your presence would draw near to them and that um, those who are broken would see that, that you draw near to the brokenhearted, Lord, and that your presence would be felt with them, Lord. So you are the great physician. You are the great healer. And so we ask not just that you would heal Heal our physical bodies, Lord, but we pray right now as we had turned our attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would bring the healing that we all need um, in our soul, Lord. So would you proclaim um, your son? Would he be magnified in this place um, over the course of the next few minutes um, through the proclamation of your word? We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, as a church, if you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, we have been really navigating what we've called sort of sacred ground. We have been in a text which is um, really, really special. Obviously, all of Scripture is God-breathed, is, is sacred, uh, but there is something incredibly unique about the passive, uh, passage of Scripture that we have been studying over the last eight weeks or so, and it's, it's John 17. John 17. Um, this really is, many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer as we discover it in, in uh, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, how Jesus teaches us how to pray. But if we're, um, as we've been looking at this, what we've kind of noticed is that really this is the Lord's Prayer. John 17 really is the true Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus' prayer right before, to the Father, right before he heads to the cross to be crucified. This is Jesus's prayer, and for us, it has, it has taught us a great deal. It's taught us a great deal about the very heart of Jesus himself um, as he goes before the Father and whispers into his heart the things that are on Jesus's heart. We learn what is precious, what is dear, what is important to Jesus himself. We also learn a great deal about our very existence. The very reason that you and I exist have been placed on this earth. 
Jesus reveals a great deal in this chapter about what he wants for you and what he wants for me. We've, we've talked a lot about the promise that we have of protection and, and security, that Jesus asked the Father that, that he keep us, that he keep us. We, we've discovered this offer of belonging, that in Jesus we get a sense that, that we belong to God. We've, we've discussed the possibility of everlasting joy that is only possible through Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus. We, we've also discovered um, the priority of unity. The priority of unity. Last week we focused on, on unity and really the purpose that in our mission that Jesus has called us to. So, so really, when we consider John 17, what I have appreciated so much about this series is that it allows us to sort of, as a people who can oftentimes be so distracted by the world that is constantly changing around us, it has allowed us just even briefly to focus in on the very things in this life that matter the most. And I don't know about you, but I am in constant need of that refocusing because I can get distracted very easily. But in John 17, we gain a perspective, an eternal perspective that allows us to consider really the things that matter the most in life. We've also seen in John 17 a, a wonderful model for prayer. How do we pray? John 17, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Last week was, a, was really a special week as we considered uh, the, the, the focus of this church that has historically been to be a blessing to the nations, to make disciples for God's glory of all the nations. And so Pastor Hoke helped us to consider the special unity that Jesus Christ has won and has called us to. It's the type of unity that is desperately needed and wanted by the, the world around us, and yet us as the people of God are able to provide a, a type of unity that is completely unexplainable in human categories. The unity that God calls us to and has formed in us is really the supernatural work of God himself. It's a, a unity that is rooted and looks like the oneness that the Father shares with the Son. This week, as we bring the study of John 17 to a close, we're going to examine and we're going to look at in these last three verses sort of the final petition, the final request of Jesus. And what we'll see is that his, his final petition is, is really sort of his, his ultimate petition for you and for me. And it's not just his ultimate petition, but really, as we explore it, we'll see that it is the ultimate longing of our hearts, the very desire of our souls, whether you know it or not. We discover that this morning in verses 24 and 26. And what I want to do this morning is we have sort of just maybe two different points, okay? Two different points if you're keeping notes. The, the first point, and we will, well, we'll linger at both of them, okay? There's only two, all right? Two points. The first one is we'll explore together what is it that Jesus wants for you and for me? And the second point that we'll consider is what difference does it make? What difference does it make? So first, what is it this ultimate request, this ultimate aim that we discover in these final three verses, what is it that Jesus wants for you? 
Remember, verses 20 through 26, Jesus's, all of his requests fall underneath that category. He is ultimately praying for you and for me this very day. For all of the believers that would follow the disciples' witness, and as they were faithful to proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, all of those who would come after him, Jesus is praying for us in these verses. So what does he want for you? Simply put, this is what he wants. He wants that you and I will be with him that we might see his glory. What is his ultimate request in these verses? That you and I are with him that we might see him as he is. So let's just take those in two different parts. The first part of that is that you and I are with him. That we can be with Jesus. And a couple years ago... uh, pop rock band, famous, maybe you're familiar with them, called One Republic, um, released a single. And the, the title of that song was simply this, Wanted. Maybe you're familiar with it. It was, one of the, it was on the radio for a while, it, pretty high on some of the charts. The title of the song was simply Wanted. It was, a, it was a decent song. It was okay. It's catchy. It's a simple song. But even more than being a simple song, it really had a very simple message. It got to the heart of what you and I share, this, this need to feel significant, this need that we have to be wanted or to be loved. And it's not coincidental that the, the track called Wanted was on the album that was titled Human. The name of the album was Human. Very important observation. Because really at the core of our humanity, all of us share this this need to be wanted, to feel significant, to hear somebody else say these simple words, I want you. And there might be some of us here this morning that maybe have built up a little bit of an armor over the years. And we feel like, you know what? I've made it this far. I can keep going. I don't need anybody to want me. And if that's you, just ask you for the next few moments to maybe just take your armor off. Lay your guard down. We all want to be wanted. Is there a cheap trick song that goes like that as well, I think? Depending on what generation trying to make everybody happy this morning. Why is it? Why is it that you and I have a shared need to be wanted? Why is this so basic to our humanity? Well, first, why is it basic to our humanity? Because if you've heard those words before, you've enjoyed them. They have felt good. My kids would say them to me often when they were little. I don't hear them as much anymore. But when I would hear those words, it feels good. This, this is not an exclusive need just for maybe you Enneagram folks out there, for the Enneagram 2. I think it's the Enneagram 2, right? Enneagram 2 that maybe just has this basic desire to feel loved, and their greatest fear, I believe, is to be rejected. The reality is we all share that basic need and that basic fear. Nobody wants to be 
rejected. If we are all honest with ourselves, we share this. We have this. It feels good. But that's not the only reason why it's basic to our humanity. Not just does it feel good when we hear those words, but the truth is we were designed this way. We were built this way. We're simply hardwired for relationships. We have, all of us, in us, an intrinsic desire to feel wanted, to be loved. Because after all, the Bible tells us, it's very clear, that we are made in God's image. We're created in the very image of God. And God is, as he has revealed himself to us through his word, a relational God. He exists three persons in one God. And like this relational God, we are relational creatures. We exist. We are made hardwired to have relationships, relationships with each other, and ultimately a relationship with God himself. This is why Jesus connects this longing for our relational unity to his union with the Father here in John 17. We've seen it several times in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. The need for them to be united as one people is based on the foundation, the footings of that need is found ultimately in the unity of the Trinity. Also in verses 20 and 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they also may be one. Again, a, a plea, a request for unity that finds its footing, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. We are relational people because we are made by a relational God, and we are made in his image. This is why we share this need, and it's what brings us ultimately, it's one of the reasons why the good news of the gospel is so good. It's the sweet promise of God that we discover as we open up his sacred scriptures, as we consider his word. The good news of the gospel is that God wants you. He wants you. And we're confronted with this truth here in verse 24. Father, if you look at the text, verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Isn't that something? His final request before he goes to the cross is that you and I are with him. Let that sink in for a moment. That's no small thing. I mean, just take a second. As I've reflected on this revolutionary, life-changing truth, what I've done is paused, and I've just considered my failings. My failings as a human being. My sin. My failings as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I've thought about the, the many times that I have simply dropped the ball. Consider. Consider your failings. Your past. I mean, here's the reality. The reality is the only person in this room who knows completely what's going on in your heart is you. I'm the only one who knows the dark corners of my heart. 
Well, that's not entirely true. Because God knows them too. And do you know what Jesus says before he goes on the cross to die for my sins? I want him with me. He says the same thing about you. Knowing full well your sin. He wants you. Knowing the lust that you struggle with, the pride that you deal with, your short fuse. Jesus wants you. He wants you. It's really amazing. How do we know that he wants us? Well, he, he, he prays the words here. As we consider our absolute mess of a life, we can often question this, and we can, can, we can find ourselves saying, no way. There's no way he would want me. But God gives us great reason to have confidence that he does. First, because of the price that Jesus paid. Christ died for us, says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10, that we might live with him. What reason of confidence do we have that Jesus wants us, that God wants us? The price that Jesus paid, tells us. It's not just the price that he paid, it's also the promise that he made. If you, just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's, he's exhorting his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go, he says, to prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a sweet promise. The, the price that he paid, the, the promise that he made. But then also here in John 17, it's, it's not just the price he paid or the promise that he made, it's also the prayer that he prayed. And the Father always answers the Son's prayer. So we have great confidence, not just that he wants us, but that we will one day be with him. This is the good news of the gospel. That God, great in his great provision, has made a way for us to be with him in spite of our sin. So, first part of that request, what's his ultimate aim? That we are with him. Secondly, so that we can see his glory. You see it in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants you and me to be with him. Why? So that we may see his glory. This is the final request of our Lord that we may be with that we may be with him. This is the great end, the glorious aim, not just of this prayer, but really of our entire life. That we are with him and that we might see him as he truly is in the in the fullness of his glory. Now, over the last couple of months, really, as a church, we have, um, and, and really the last couple of weeks especially, we have walked through some really challenging things. There's, there's been a, a handful of brothers and sisters who are very dear and have been so dear to our congregation that we've had to, we've had to say goodbye to. And it has been incredibly hard um, for many of us. They, they've gone home to be where Jesus is now. How often throughout, it's interesting when you think about, uh, it, it's caused me as a, as, a, as a result to think about heaven in general. 
And it's interesting when you consider heaven, how often throughout the Bible, our, our future destiny that we were made for is described as a person. Less like a place and more like a person. David himself says that it's, it's with God where he will experience pleasures forevermore. Paul says that it's his desire to depart and to be where? With Christ. Future destiny described not so much as a place, but as a person with Christ. In Colossians 3, 1 through 2, he says this, seek, encourages the church of Colossae to seek the things that are above where Christ is is seated at the right hand of God. And he says in verse 4, when Christ, is, uh, when Christ who is yours life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, the reality is if we are in Christ, our destiny ultimately is a person. Heaven in the presence of our Lord in his full glory. Now, it's interesting, in, in earlier in John's chapter, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he talks about how the, the witnesses who lived with Jesus were able to see his glory. They got a glimpse of his glory. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14, says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son and Father, full of grace and truth. John says that when Jesus walked on earth, that those who were able to, to interact with him, who were able to see him, got a glimpse, got an idea of how glorious Jesus was. They, they got an understanding of his glory when they saw him turn water into wine. They, they were able to see his glory as Jesus healed the official son or the paralytic at the pool or the, the man who was born blind. They were able to get a glimpse of his glory as he was able to feed some 5,000 people with simply five loaves of bread and two fish. They were able to see his glory as he walked to them on the water. They got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. They were able to see his glory when he called to Lazarus to come out of the tomb and he rose a dead man from the grave. They were able to see the glory of Jesus. But even as amazing as that was, it was still a glimpse of what Jesus is, of who he is and, and his fullness of his glory. Likewise, for us today, we can discover and we can get a, a glimpse of Jesus' glory. By his spirit, through his word, we can see Jesus. Peter describes the maturity of, of those who are in Christ. He describes it looking like this. What does it look like to grow as a Christian? Peter says, growing in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we consider life on this planet, growth towards Jesus, what does it look like growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, seeing his glory more and more day by day as we discover him in his word? So beautifully summed up in by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. 
This is the great burden in Paul's heart that he would know Jesus as he really is. And it should be our burden as we walk with Christ day by day that we would see more and more and grow in our understanding and knowledge of who Jesus actually is. This is the great burden of our Christian hearts and the great goal of our salvation, the future that you and I were destined for. Not that we may simply get by or survive. Not that our career would advance not that we would be well-liked, or not that we would live the American dream, but rather that we would know Jesus. That we would know Jesus. I heard a pastor say this week that Christianity, Christianity centers on Christ himself, whatever the cost to us, because he is so gloriously worth it. Jesus wants you he wants me that we might know him and see him for who he really is the question is if that's what's on his heart if that's what he wants for you if that's what he wants for me what are we going to do about it what are we going to do about it well to sort of answer that question i want us to consider the life that Jesus has called us to live sort of boiled down into three chapters. I think every Christian, and there's, you could probably make a few different exceptions here and there, but just for the, the sake of clarity this morning, we could summarize our life as a follower of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you could summarize your life in sort of three different chapters. Chapter number one, you could call it this, seen but not seen. Our stories, your story and my story, all begins the exact same way. From the moment that we enter this world until our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to the truth of the gospel, we could all be described as seeing the glory of Jesus, but not seeing it. We've not seeing it as it really is. Seeing the glory of Jesus, but not seeing it as true or beautiful or compelling or all-satisfying. In John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, we hear these, what I've always thought are really terrifying verses. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus, in the world, walking among men and women, and, and though he, the world was made through him, the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, a rescue mission, and the response of his own people and they did not receive him. Terrifying verses. One of the, for me, one of the more terrifying verses in all of the Bible. Think about all the signs that these people saw him perform. All the amazing sermons that they heard him preach. Think about day after day after day walking in the same street as Jesus. Seeing his power really on display. And yet... They rejected him. Watching this man push back darkness everywhere he went. And yet they did not receive him as he was. Consider Judas. He, he saw it, but he didn't see it, right? He looked at it every day for three years, and at the end he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. D Jesus describes people like this in Matthew 13 as those who see 
but do not see those who hear but do not hear and the reality is we've all been there this is for every single one of us chapter one of our life being confronted with god in his glory but yet rejecting him it describes if this describes you this morning the response is simple repent turn from your sins and trust jesus he wants you he paid the price to have you doesn't expect anything from you this is the good news of the gospel if you're here this morning and you've been walking with jesus this is a good reminder that for for all of us there's a level playing field it's been said many many times before that we are all beggars simply telling other beggars where we found bread and that's the truth that's chapter one chapter two in the life of a christian there comes a moment when our eyes are opened to actually see something happens the the goodness and the loving kindness of god our savior appears and we see the glory of jesus in a new way a way that we are simply unable to deny his glory and his grace comes crashing into our lives and he becomes for us the center of our life we discover him as magnificent compelling satisfying and true and we realize that there's nothing for us that we bring to the table or can offer. So what happens is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Not on our own doing or because of our own effort, but only because of his grace and his mercy at work in our life. Our salvation is all of his grace. God opens the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus for who he really is, to hear the gospel of Jesus. And God demonstrates his love for us that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. And we see his overwhelming, self-authenticating glory in the gospel of Jesus. And then we go living on simply in light of that glory. The light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. Once our eyes have been opened to the reality of Christ, everything changes. Because life in light of the gospel, by the love and power of Christ himself, is the fuel by which we go on taking one step after another, day by day. Look at verse 26. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Our lives are now filled as our eyes have been opened to the goodness and the glory of Jesus. God gives us his spirit, puts his spirit in us, puts the very love of him and compels us step by step to move forward by faith. Christ in us, the hope of of glory the, the unity that he has called us to in john 17 while we while we look at this and and in, in, in today's world in today's culture seems utterly unattainable suddenly becomes possible why because god's love is in us christ himself verse 26 in us it is unattainable on our own strength but with christ in us Nothing can stop us. So the life that he's put before us seems, I mean, oftentimes impossible. And it's true.
but now with God. Nothing's impossible with him. And he has poured himself out freely to us. And then chapter 3. Our eyes are filled. Our soul satisfied with the glory of Christ. When our eyes close in this world, as a follower of Jesus, they open in the next side of eternity, instantly filled with the fullness of Jesus's glory. And our hearts will be filled, the deepest longing of our hearts satisfied by Christ forever. We know this because the Apostle Paul taught us that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And to depart and be with Christ is far better than remaining here. Why? Because this ultimate aim of Jesus' prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, will be answered. It will be answered. That's the hope of our life. And that's what eternity looks like for us. For the, the brothers and sisters that we have lost right now, their eyes are filled with the glory of Jesus. And their hearts are finally satisfied. They see him for who he really is. And that's the hope for us as well as followers of Jesus God the Father will answer this prayer. Everything tells us as much in Scripture. So the question for us this morning is simply this. What difference does it make to you? If, if that is the, the life of the Christian, apart from God, what do we deserve? Wrath, punishment, the wages of sin is death. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a different way to live life. And when we receive what God has done for us, when we understand his grace and his mercy, how do we not? This is the question I've been trying to ask myself. If this is real, if this is real, how is it possible that these lips don't just keep proclaiming it, right? If this is really what's in store for those who are in Christ, if God the Father truly has answered the prayer of Jesus the Son in this moment, and we have the possibility of eternity with Christ, how do we as the people of Christ not continually proclaim Christ to everybody around us? This is the feel when we think back to last week about the, the temptation for all of us to be sort of a, a cul-de-sac or maybe a dead end, if you will to the grace and mercy of the gospel. This, God has called us, as Pastor Thomas mentioned last week, to be an on-ramp. Is that the terminology? An on-ramp. And that's precisely what we ought to be. When, when God's grace comes crashing into our life, what other option do we have? Seeing Jesus for who he really is. Church, let me remind you. The harvest is plentiful we have some options in how we live our world today as christians and what my fear is is that i see many retreating and complaining about the world around you i'm tempted to do the same thing virtually every day but that's not what god has called us to 
He has brought us to himself with maybe the most, with easily the most compelling message ever. God, the universe, God, God, the creator of the universe wants you. And he's given us the assignment to go and tell others of this wonderful news. So two questions just to close. Number one, how are you enjoying Christ? How are you going to enjoy Christ this week? When you open up God's word, are you looking, are you feasting on who Jesus is? Do you find yourself satisfied and delighting in the person of Christ? Question number two, who are you going to tell in the next seven days about the glory of Jesus and the possibility that they can be with him forever? Just two simple questions. Consider those this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are such a good and gracious God. Lord, I pray that we would not be a people who easily forget it but that your gospel, your grace, and your mercy will be ever in front of us, Lord, and that we would be a people who not only delight on the person and work of Jesus, but we would be a people who can't stop talking about it. Lord, just help us as we leave this place to be able to, um, to be quick and ready to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.